Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day. G'day. I've had the exact right amount of coffee. Two cups. Well, you see me have three cups. You run the other way. You've had two cups, have you? That's that's what I need to get to get going on a Monday morning when it's still cold outside, despite the fact that it is almost spring. It's your birthday week, and we were last week in tennis paradise in the desert, and then we returned to winter in New York. It's us. It's Indian Wells Recap Podcast. Welcome to the show, the Renee Stubbs Podcast. It's going to contain some complaining about weather, but mostly it's going to contain some joyous reviews of what we just watched for two weeks in the desert, which was, to to my mind, incredible. Unbelievable. It was a very memorable tournament for so many reasons. Like, uh, I don't know, it's just, I know that your obsession with um, berating and getting upset about the top three and the top four and, you know, <laughs> I'm so over these guys and da, 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 you know, the Rogers Ruffers and I mean, I listen, I get your point, but you know, you, the, 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 the vitriol that you say it with is, is, is not appreciated by us tennis uh, purists. <laughs> I, I, let me take a moment to explain myself because you're referring to a tweet that I sent last night in response to our friend uh, fellow tennis uh, commentator and fellow tennis journalist, L. John Wertheim, who was looking ahead from Indian Wells to the draw in Miami and noting that Rafa Nadal is not going to be there. Nikirius is not going to be there. Novak Djokovic is not going to be there. A number of people, we have two out of the big three who are still playing, not going to be there as uh, among other absences. And it just sort of made me angry I'll be honest, angry, because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, we've just had this two-week tournament where the, at least on the men's side, obviously both on the women's side, but on the men's side, we've had so many incredible storylines, so many incredible narratives, so much incredible play, and we're already getting upset about Miami not having the same guys who we didn't have in Indian Wells and thinking, oh, this tournament's not going to be that great. To me, it's just like, what are we doing here, guys? We're shooting ourselves in the foot. Those are great players, obviously. The big three was great. The big four was great. Um, uh, Novak is still great. Not Nadal is, you know, now out of the top 10 for the first time in whew, 15 some years. You know, he's still uh, great, though. More, and he's still a threat to win Roland Garros. All I'm saying is, I am so ready to talk about these other players. And these other players are doing their part. They're winning. They're playing great. And so for me, it's not about who's not there. It's about who is there and let's talk about them. 
Yeah, I know. I know. I, I mean, I get you. I get you, buddy. I get you. Um, I, I always preface by saying it would be great to have them here, but they're not. And so we got this, which was as top shelf of tennis as we've seen in a long time um, for all players. Um, so, so let's get going on the week, the, you know, the week and a half in general. You and I popped out there for the weekend, as people know, um, which was great. But um, for me, the, the crowds out there were crazy good. First of all, um, I know people were sort of like, well, I see a lot of empty, you know, ch seats in the stands and blah, blah, blah. Well, because the stadiums are all so big, you know what I mean? But but we saw the crowds out there. I mean, they were lining up to record, get out. In, in, record crowds. And, they haven't had crowds this big in years. And also they're lining up to get onto the outside courts as well. Some people don't necessarily want to watch the stars and kind of proves your point a little bit. You know, people, people also want to be around the grounds, just getting in, watching. Actually, they were watching a lot of doubles. They were get, trying to get into random singles matches. So, um, look, the health of the sport, clearly after spending the week and a half, you know, watching the crowds out there, is it, the, the sport is healthy, very healthy without, as you said, without the top you know, big names like Roger, Rafa, no Novak and Serena not being at that tournament. Anyway, so the women, let's start with the women. Um, whoa. I mean, we thought Iga was just going to walk away with this thing, the way she was playing. She was like breadsticking and bageling everyone still. She was looking unbelievable. But then she just runs into this buzzsaw of um, Rabakina. But, but I have to say, I know that she was a little bit hurt. She apparently had this pains in her rib that she sustained she said she felt it apparently in the match before against Kristea so you know if you're not healthy you're not going to beat Rabaki in the way she's playing right now I mean she is just hitting the ball so well the forehand is not making the errors it was under pressure before we saw that pretty obviously in both the semi and the final I mean it's beat the number one and number two player back to back that's fantastic um I know she beat your girl Sabalenka but uh but that was a that was an a, a She's just so cool. These I'm two, it's really fire and ice, that matchup, you know? It's like yeah. you've got Sabalenka, whose demonstrativeness, her fire, her fury, her silliness. I love it. I To me, she's like, has components of players I've loved deeply in the past, like Yelena Yankovic in terms of her like drama and showmanship. But she also has like the raw power and sort of fury that Sharapova had sometimes with like, Serena's shot making I mean I'm not you know it's it's it, I don't want to make comparisons because she's her own person but I love watching her so much because she feels like she's pure id and then you have Rabakina who's just like as cool as a cucumber hitting lasers but just you know totally totally stoic which is also amazing and I truly I could watch these two face off in finals for years to come because they're such a fun contrast and obviously you know I think when you have a really good final like we did in Australia between the two of them you sort of hope like okay well this is a rivalry we can watch kind of like you know Alcaraz and Sinner when we watched them in the U.S. Open last year and then seeing them again this year in the semifinals of the of the men's I know we're wanting to focus on the women's right now but just I love when the rivalries continue to kind of deliver. Obviously the second set was a little bit lopsided in that final. Uh, the the tiebreak could not have been closer. I think it was 13, 11 or so, but like, oh, yeah, it was crazy. I was just really thrilled with the contrast and the fact that they, they combined again for another kind of blockbuster showdown. Yeah. They, they certainly played their best at times and their worst at times. I mean, yeah. yeah. All of a sudden the double faults came back to haunt um, Sabalenka. I mean, I think, I think she has to learn from this a little bit. I mean, in Australia, she 
double folded a bunch at the start, like, but then she sort of got it together and she got the rhythm back. But I think what she has to recognize is that when she loses the rhythm like that, especially on big points, and it's really hard for a big server to do this, but she was getting, you know, cleaned up on the second serve and or she was double folding. She had to take a little bit of pace off the serve on some set, like the set point when she double faulted, like she has to understand when the, the rhythm goes off a little bit and she kind of gets into that funk again of losing the power slash control balance where she's like, oh, okay. And she did it in the second set. So she can do it. She can take the pace off. Um, I think on some really big points, she has to learn a little bit of a lesson of not necessarily going for the big bomber every time, you know? So, um, you know, and she paid the price. So those double faults really killed her. I mean, the irony was when Sabalenka double folded. I loved it though, because Sabalenka uh, was double folding and getting herself in trouble. And Rubakina finally gets a, a set point on her own serve and double faults and she <laughs> smiled. It was the first double fault. She hit the whole set and she hit it on set point. It was kind of, and I, but I like that she kind of got a little grin on her face. Well, also just sort of a, some emotional resilience there, you know, like the, not to skip ahead to the end of the match, but watching the trophy ceremony and, you know, Rabakina is giving her opponent, you know, because it's not just about the final, obviously these two women had phenomenal, phenomenal tournaments. And I'd love to talk a little bit about some of their road to getting to the finals, just because so many of those yeah. matches were great. You know, obviously Rabakina went through Iga Sviantek, Sabalenka had a, a pretty entertaining match against Maria Sakari, who I was very happy to see at the end stages of a tournament again, after having, you know, had some success at, at Indian Wells getting to the final prior. But like, to me, the fact that Sabalenka kind of stuck out her tongue and sort of jokingly interrupted Rabakina's speech saying, you know, yeah, you finally beat me, but next time, you know, I have to make sure that's not the, that's the last time, you know, there's some like playful ribbing. Obviously these two have like a nice sort of rapport, but also I think it speaks to the fact that, um, you know, there's a little bit of a light lightheartedness to their play, which I think is fun and show and shows. Like, I, I like the fact that there's, you know, it's not just like this corporate, you know, I want to thank my 400 list of sponsors and my agent. It's like, no, we're kind of, we're jocular. We're, we're mixing it up. We're, you know, let's see each other in another final and see what happens. And I, and I feel like that kind of summarized for me a lot of the, um, you know, this final didn't feel painful or fraught the way that sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, mat matchups can feel. Um, and so for me, I just feel like it was such a good um, experience watching the two of them kind of tear their way yeah. through the jaws and meet in the finals. Well, I mean, there was a period there where you thought Krujikova might take out Sabalenka again. It was like the, it felt like the same match. Um, you know, Sabalenka comes out smoking, wins the first set, and then Krujikova fights back, and then it goes right down to the wire. So that that's a really nice matchup as well. Krujikova obviously is fully back as far as her singles is concerned. She's, fought, you know, she's found the confidence again, and when she's on, she's so good. So she can take and withstand the power of a Sabalenka. Or a, or, or a Rubakina and sort of redirect the ball because she likes the pace coming at her. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how she keeps playing through the season. We go, know how good she is on clay after winning the French Open. And so she's back in the mix. Um, and I like that she won another, you know, another doubles title with uh, Sinyakova. I mean, those two are just so dominant in doubles. So so her confidence is up. So that's good. Um, I would say that Rabakina now, I think, what, she go to seven in the world? She should be three in the world at this point after right. winning Wimbledon, finals East Australian Open, winning it this Masters, one you know, WTA 1000. Um, but, you know, her points weren't counted for Wimbledon. Um, but, but it also just shows to you how someone like a Jasper Gula, who is still ranked ahead of her, how consistent she's been 
for yeah, 12 months. Um, for sure. Herself winning our WTA 1000 as well, but she's been super, super consistent in the Grand Slam. So, uh, you know, women's tennis is unbelievably healthy right now with all these, I mean, everybody thinks Iga's going to win everything. And then all of a sudden she just, woof, she plays one average match against a really big hitter and everyone lets her know that, hey, listen, she's not the only one that's going to win these matches easily. So it's really healthy at the top. There's yeah, three or four it. players that are doing unbelievably consistently well week in and week out now. I agree with you completely. And I think the fact that the we had so many prior slam winners so deep in the tournament, we had so much variety of styles deep in the tournament. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to not go with Ego just given her, ability to withstand I think a lot of things that people throw at her that said when she plays a big hitter like a Rabakina or Sabalenka like the the match is not necessarily on her racket you know no. and I think that's that's sort of I don't know I love that I like that there's a contrast in style and as you said Krajikova who's part of that incredible they know this is a little bit uh, of a di- uh, of a left turn but just the Czechs announced their BJK their Billie Jean King Cup lineup this morning it's barbara kujikova yep. katarina sinyakova linda noskova mukova and marketa vondroskova like they should just let, let those ladies play davis cup and fed cup because they're gonna just tear through the draw like that's so crazy given the singles and the doubles the depth of that check team like i feel like Whoa. we should just send them into space and have them fight aliens on behalf of earth like is anybody gonna withstand a chance out there you know against the well Czechs? i mean they've they've dominated for so long i mean and they they're not even and two people not even in the yeah. Petra Kvitova is not even in the lineup. Like Petra Kvitova and Carolina Pliskova are not even in the team. So I mean, it's like <laughs> it's crazy. And the list could go on. So yeah, they've always been the most incredible. Yeah, team we that, should that, just that, like put them in the you know Marvel universe and have them like uh, fighting any bad guys that come our way. Like anyway, they're, just they're, to take us out of it. But the the Krajikova is obviously kind of leading that squad, and it's cool to see her back and and doing so well. Yeah, I mean, I sort of disagree with you a little bit on Sakari. I think that I just think she's like keeps, I feel like she's hit her head on the ceiling. You know, mm-hmm. it's like she gets through these, you know, she got through the match with Kavita, for example, down a set and, and uh, 4-2, I think, um, you know, with uh, Kavita serving. So, I, you know, Kavita really should have won that match in straight sets, but then she went, did a, such a picture of Kavita thing, which is like missed 20 balls in a row and couldn't find the court. Um, you know, and then Sakari found her way in and started serving better because she served horrifically in the first set. So, so, but I just, I keep waiting for her to like break through and win one of these tournaments. Um, and it's like, it's such a mental block for me with her. It's not the game. I think she could, I think she could change up her game somewhat. I think she could use definitely, definitely slice her back end more. I think it would set up her game a lot more. I think she tries to hit flat through that back end way too much. It, it settles into these girls' hitting zone too mm-hmm. much. And, I, you know, I think she could vary her service um, speeds from time to time. I just think there's little things that she could do to get breakthrough against these sort of players because her athleticism is off the charts. One thing I will say about um, Sabalenka, uh, sorry, not Sabalenka, Rybakina is um, – her new fitness trainer, um, Zula, he used to work with um, Pliskova, and I know him from my days of working with Carolina. Great guy. I think he's improved her, her movement so much out of the corners of the court. Um, you know, we've had a chat about it and something that he said that they've worked really hard on, and you can see it. I mean, the movement aspect mm-hmm. of her tennis, for me, has improved so much in a year, um, and I think he's done a really good job 
with that. He's a track guy. He worked with Burdick before that. He worked with Carolina. So he's worked with players that are really tall and lean. Yeah. I was going to not- say, she's so tall and lean. And it's hard to describe because on TV, the, the camera shrinks them and kind of makes them look wider. When you see these guys in person, they're like they're like trees. And I think for yeah. people who don't have a ton of muscle definition, um, like like a Carolina Pushkova, maybe like a Burdick, like a, certainly like a Rybakina, yeah, that movement, they can feel a little stiff sometimes moving. And I feel like that is definitely a notable change because she wasn't getting on the defense the way that, you know, Sabalenka had her on the run. That's a very, oh, very interesting point. For sure. I just, even yesterday, like she she might not hit a great shot off it, but she got, he would get there and she would, you know, pop it in the air and get it back in the court. And that just builds anxiety for your opponent, particularly someone like a Sabalenka who you feel her anxiety coming through like every shot <laughs> yeah. because she's just like, ah! you know screaming through everything so I think getting one or two balls back in the court even though they might not have anything on them that that builds as I said the pressure and anxiety that you have to hit a better shot and so her getting out to those balls is a testament to her crew or getting her into that um, physical shape and and um, it's credit to her because if she's moving better look out well yeah I mean this is like probably one of her worst surfaces because she really prefers a faster court. I mean, you know, we've made, a lot has been made about the the speed of the Indian Wells court. It's it's a, for a hard court, about as slow as it can get. And for me, Rubakina is so dangerous on faster courts that once she figures out how to move and defend, as you say, on slower courts, like, good night, you know? How many times do you have to yep. put the ball away against her before she can do the same to you? So I feel like that's, it's exciting to watch players level up. And I kind of, and I do agree with you. I think the, the point about Maria Soccer is a good one, which is, for me, it was sort of a relief just that she made it to the semifinals. And I feel like that sort of speaks to diminished expectations, which I shouldn't have, because she's such a great athlete and she has such a great, um, you know, amount of potential. And I think, you know, maybe it's, the low expectations on my end, that's actually sort of the problem. Right. And maybe that's kind of, she's internalized that too. Like maybe it's like, Oh, well, I got to the semis. That's good enough. And it's like, well, she should really be, I think personally that Maria Sakari should have two slams right now. Um, and well, she definitely should have at least, well, I, I won't say she should have one because I think she should have definitely, definitely, as we know, been in the finals of the French playing against Pavla Chinkova. Um, yeah, so... she had a match point against Bar- Barbara Krajikova in that semi. And I would yeah. argue the year that Raducanu won, as much as I like Raducanu, and I am ha- happy to talk about her because I was really yeah. happy to see her back and playing well and getting some really quality Sakari wins. But yeah. Sakari should have been in, at least been in that final um, and I yeah. think probably have won it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think maybe I have some lowered expectations for Sakari, which is kind of maybe a bad sign. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. You know, obviously, look, I just I think a lot of hers is like just mental um at some point like you know when she won her second round I think it was or and and she was so excited and it was a tough three set match I get mm-hmm. it but um I, I just remember thinking wow she shouldn't be that emotional winning that match like that's where you've got to manage your emotions you know you've got to manage your expectation and think okay yes this was a dramatic match but like she was almost in tears and I thought oh that is just that is a combination and a culmination of pressure and I don't know lack of confidence I don't know what it is but that to me was a little surprising um I mean be happy but 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 the but the but the way she celebrated that match I was very surprised um yeah uh, so 
I mean, she did, wasn't like that when she beat Kvitova. I think it's because she was winning so comfortably in the end, but also probably felt like she got out of jail a little bit. But, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's an ongoing process, and I hope she breaks through because she's such a nice kid. No, same. Emma. Nice, great kid. Yeah. Rooting for her, yeah. and the game is fun to watch. Um, shall we talk a little bit about the men? Sure. Wow. Yeah. As we wrap up winter here in New York, my metabolism needs a kickstart out of spring. If you are like me and you want to make a change as the season winds down, maybe you're having some gut issues, maybe you're feeling a little low energy, Sakara has an answer for you. Their new Sakara systems are targeted nutrition programs designed to solve your biggest health concerns, whether that's weight management, digestion problems, or just feeling a little sluggish. Sakara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash racket or enter code racket at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash racket to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash racket. I mean, how excited are we about this kid? Like, literally, I know that you, you know, here we go. You don't want to have that person that, like, we're hanging our hats on one or two people, you know. know. But I'm sorry, Caitlin. You got to love and hang your hat on this kid because he is so freaking exciting and he's going to make everybody just like Rafa, just like Roger and Novak. He's going to make everyone better because he made made Medvedev. He made Medvedev look terrible yesterday. (laughs) And by that, I mean, Medvedev has not lost a match in three tournaments. Okay. Comes in here, not looking like he can lose to anybody. Right. Not making I thought he errors. was going to win the tournament, to be honest. I thought Medvedev Not, had this tournament back in the back. No, I, I think this court suited Alcaraz better. That's what, you know, we clearly know. We're all very aware of how Medvedev felt about the court, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I hate you, but maybe I secretly love you. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved his speech um, where he's like, okay, so now I want to thank the court. I was like, <laughs> oh, God, here we go. I, I just think he's hilarious. I mean, I know him on a not a, I wouldn't say I know him on a deep personal level, but I certainly have had my interactions with him enough to know that I just, I love the guy. He's like, he's so honest. He's so funny. Um, there are times where I wish he'd stop bitching about the court, but it's kind of like it's gotten to a point where it was funny. And then he always brings it up in in press or in these post-match interviews or in uh, the trophy presentation. He's just, he's a classic. He's just being honest about how he feels. He said, you know, I, it hurt my ankle, it hurt my finger, but it's okay. I, I want to be back here again next year. But he, back to Alcaraz, he literally made Medvedev look terrible yesterday. He was overpowering Daniil Medvedev. Like there were there were some rallies, and this is the thing that I really noticed about Alcaraz yesterday. Even throughout all the tournament, there's he'll give you one bad game, right, where you're just like, oh, God, that was the 19-year-old coming out in force, right? Not making like just missing balls where you're just like, oh, dude. Like he'd lose his serve like to love after breaking. And you just <laughs> you just know that's the 19-year-old part of him still, right, the immaturity. Um, but yesterday he would be happy to rally and not really go for it. 
you know, and hit one backhand, two backhands, and then he would crush one backhand and it would literally push Medvedev backwards where he couldn't control the ball. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, he's literally overpowering Daniil Medvedev, which never happens. That just shows you how great he is at changing the pace of the ball. I mean, and how hard he hits the ball and how athletic he is to make you, lull you into thinking he's going to hit a certain shot and then boom. Or he goes, you know, to hit a big forehand, drop shot. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, his variety is off the charts. He is like a combination of the big three, literally. Yeah, he does. He, he is, has characteristics of all three. He has the characteristics of all three. He comes forward and plays and wants to come into the net and finish points off like Roger. He has the spin on the forehand and, you know, the 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 flatness of the backhand and the variety of, you know, of uh, and the flexibility and the speed around the court like Novak. And he has the tenacity and that sort of drive and d- desire and, frankly, looks like happiness, like Nadal. It's just, he's unbelievable. I mean, you heard the speech when Medvedev said, I want to thank you, congratulate you. You're like the nicest guy. You say hello to every 130 people a day. It's so true. The guy is so nice. He says hello to everyone. He's like, you know, good morning. How are you? Like, I can tell you from my own personal um, experiences with him, he is the nicest kid in the world. And the fact that Daniel Medvedev's like, yeah, man, you know, like you're literally the nicest guy in the world. I was like, oh, everyone notices it. So I'm just, I'm so excited because this kid could not be nicer and could not be better. It's for me, the point that he played against Yannick Sinner, where Sinner hit, he hit a good serve. Sinner gets it back, gets in a position on the run where he hits just like a laser cross court. You think, oh, that's a flat out winner. Alcaraz gets it back, comes into the net, hits a leaping backhand overhead, and then moving backwards hits a feathery lob. And I feel like in that one point, you saw literally every type of shot deployed. And I was just thinking, if you're Yannick Sinner and you hit maybe three or four different winners in that point, drop shots, laser forehands, uh, great returns, you're thinking, what do I have to do to beat, to get this guy out of position? What do I have to do to win a point against him? What do I have to do to 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 get the better of him and i think for me what's so exciting and i totally totally do not want to focus on one player saving us from a generation of players that priorly were identified oh, no, as saving us but I, everyone better. but because what you said that got me so excited is he's going to make everyone better and i think for me medvedev goes back and says okay i had an incredible tournament i played a variety of people i hated the surface and yet got to the finals and and won some great matches now how do I solve this guy? Or Sinner is like, okay, now we've had a couple of incredible battles in a row. Now how do I get my game to the next level? And I feel like for me, it's the cohort. We shouldn't leave out Big Foe. I didn't give him much of a chance against Medvedev, but he put out an incredible fight. That kid has so much heart. I just want to call out to Francis Tiafo being as our Twitter uh, uh, leader for the tournament, AJ Eccles called out a raspberry cream puff uh, dressed Big Foe just was so exciting, and I'm so thrilled to see him again in the back half making very deep runs uh, at a tournament, and he put up a very good fight against Medvedev. To me, the fact that the cohort of men, not only Alcaraz, who is so undeniably exciting and incredible and gets the the heart racing in that way, but also just like this, this clutch of guys at the top now that's coming up, that's in Medvedev's case, backing it up, 
is just super, super, super exciting. Um, shout out to Big Foe for being part of that group. And, you know, for me, I I just look at it and think, oh, I'm so ready. It's We sort of skipped next gen and now we're at next, next gen. And that's just fine with me because if these guys want to play this kind of tennis for years to come, I will gladly tune into it. Well, that's the thing. Like when I think about um, Yannick Sinner, for example, I thought he, I mean, after watching Sinner Alcaraz, it was, Sinner is, it almost felt like he was a level above Medvedev, the way he played Alcaraz, where he really toe to toed with him, particularly in that first set. Agreed. Alcaraz's um, uh, Sinner's speed around the court is just, it's undeniable how well he moves um, for someone as tall as he is. And as un- he looks, he doesn't look like explosive, but he's so quick around the court. But his power on the forehand and his backhand, like his big serving, he's the one that's for me going to push Alcaraz. Um, and I think he's pushed Alcaraz already to be better. But I think Alcaraz will force Sinner to be better because he has to, to beat him, um, even though he's beaten him a couple of times. But I just think about, as you said, Medvedev and even someone like Francis Tiafo. Francis has, has to go away and just put in the tape of Alcaraz beating uh, Medvedev the way he did and say, what am I not doing that he's mm-hmm. doing, right? And there's no question that Francis also has what Alcaraz has. He likes to come into the net. He likes to finish points off there. He can hit the drop shot. He obviously has the power on both the forehand and the backhand, much like Alcaraz. But what is Alcaraz doing that Francis is not doing against Medvedev? So that was that match that they played yesterday. That's a perfect opportunity for every guy to take that tape and go, okay, what is he doing against Medvedev mm. to make him look this bad? And honestly, <laughs> it was the variety of the pace of ball and the drop shot. And, and being able to hit that, you've got to be able to hit that against Medvedev because he's 20 feet behind the baseline. And the explosive serve and volley from time to time. All the things that he did, what did he do to beat Medvedev that easily? And if I was every coach and every player, I'd be like, all right, let's study this and get this down pat because players like Francis can play very similar. But what is the next level for them to reach? And and they saw it. They saw it yesterday. Alcaraz just made him look like you know, chump change, really. Um, it was it was impressive. I'm going to also say Taylor Fritz, you know, that match was incredible. Um, and uh, he and Sinner, it's just, the as you said, that young guns, like 19, 20, 21, 22, they're just, woof, they're going to make this sport even better. I, I literally talked to Jim Courier and Darren Cahill throughout the last couple of days watching these matches because, of course, Jim was commentating and Darren was with Yannick Sinner. And I just would text them and just be like, this is just outrageous how well these guys are playing. And I said to Jim, how does it get better than this? And he goes, I don't know. (laughs) You know, this is a former world number one, very dominant player when he was playing himself going, I don't know how it gets better than this. I mean, honestly, the the only way that that Alcaraz can get better is if he had John Isner's serve. I mean, everything (laughs) else is so good. So you should grow another like four feet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I don't know how it gets much better than this, but I want to see Yannick Sinner and Alcaraz play for at least a decade and a half. And I I hope that Sinner wins one of those matches eventually. And when he does, it'll break through mentally for him. But, oh, I love that kid so much. I mean, his demeanor on the court is exceptional. Um, Alcaraz is a little bit fiery and still kind of complains once or twice about a few things, which is fine. I love that because that shows his natural inclination. But um, Sinner is just like an ice cube out there. He's amazing. Fire and ice on the men's side, you know. Fire and ice. Fire, fire and, ice. and ice. Nobody's nobody's upset about fire and ice. I uh, 
I just want to give a shout out because I give Tennis Channel so much shit, most of it deserving. And I usually watch the world feed just because the main broadcast can be a little tough. But truly, truly, Lindsay Davenport and Jim Career, um, kind of anchoring a lot of the Indian Wells coverage, they are a cut above. And it was a pleasure to yep. hear them call the big matches because their understanding of the you know, tactics and analysis and also their just ability to communicate it was was appreciated and you know credit where credit's due because they don't we don't always get them on the tennis channel but when we do it's you can hear the the step up candidly yeah. for I, in quality of commentating i agree a hundred percent you know how i feel i often have to <laughs> mute the tv um do you ever find because... yourself commentating along and being like ah oh, i should be doing this i could be doing it so much better um no sometimes i just feel myself going god why can't you see x you right. know, well, why can't you see why, right? Um, or why can't you explain that better? Mm -hmm. And I make the people at home understand yes. what is happening emotionally, um, tactfully. Um, I don't want to hear, that was a great forehand down the line, or boy, she's really putting some pressure on there. No, like explain what's happening. Like yeah. it, 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 give me a 3D version of it. And that's what Lindsay, as you said, and and Jim do. It's why they're like literally two of the only analysts that I do not mute the television for yep. because I can actually, I listen to them and I go, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's a right. good point. Oh, yeah. yeah and I think, oh yeah, that is what I'm seeing that. Thank you for explaining it. Uh, our friend Andrea Pekovich on the tennis channel did a fantastic yeah. job and said some things, not only humorous things, funny things, interesting things as because we know she's hilarious and smart, but also just like some interesting things about like, oh, you really have to take away um, the depth against this person. So watch her play these short angles. And sure enough, there was short angles. And I was like, oh, this just explained a dimensionality. And also she did this thing that I just wish more commentators would do, which is not talk during the point. Don't talk during the well, point. Actually, I want to hear I'll the give... sound of the point. Yeah, uh, there was early on, I actually mentioned the only thing I gave her some advice on was whatever you do, don't talk over the points. You know, even if you have a thought and you halfway through your thought, just stop when the point starts and then finish it up after that because everyone hates when you talk over a point. Yeah, we're, and just, I agree. we're still going to be sitting here. We can wait until the point's over. But I want to watch the point. Like, for me, that, yeah. that, that. Okay, so um, one more thing that I want to bring up, just because I it was sort of spicy and controversial. I do, we gave a shout-out to the the Czechs who took home the trophy uh, on the women's double side. Shout-out to Maddie Ebden and Rohan Bopana, who become yeah. the oldest uh in, champions. in the case of rohan the oldest uh 1000 champions uh i know matt has played with uh your fellow aussie has played with sam stoser um great guys nice guys there were uh, one thing that makes indian well so amazing is how many players play doubles i love doubles doubles is what most players who play at my level which is now recreational i love to see the singles players playing doubles i uh, just want to bring this up for a couple of reasons, which is, you know, there was some spicy takes from our friend Briley Opelka, who takes, who likes his take spicy, which I don't mind, uh, saying that, you know, between the walkovers and some of the crowds, like he doesn't really understand why doubles gets the salary, the attention, the the space in the sport. And I just want to bring that up with you being a six time grand slam doubles champion between doubles and mixed, like, I get why you want to make sure everybody feels like they're pulling their weight, but to me, doubles is an incredible product and I would love to see it get the shine and the attention and the, uh, you know, frankly, participation of some of the bigger names in the sport on the, on a regular basis. And I, 
one of the reasons I hate all this big three stuff is because it put so much emphasis on chasing slam titles, which were important, but just one aspect of the game's importance. And I think they did it because, uh, and I think they did it at the expense of doubles. When you used to have John McEnroe playing doubles, not just playing singles, when you used to have, uh, you know, uh, more of a, I think, varied field in, in terms of what, you played you know obviously the best example is martina nabratilova who would enter all three draws and i think for me i want to see a healthy sport where people feel like they can participate in all aspects of it well you know look i've had conversations with the riley and through the you know the thing with riley is he this is an economics thing for him right whereas he feels like in certain tournaments you know doubles players are you have you know the tournament has to pay for them to be there it's uh, you know they have to give them a pay for their hotels um, per diems, uh, et cetera, like paying for their food, blah, 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 right? And he feels like it's taking the economics away from the singles players that are there, in, uh, particularly in smaller tournaments. Look, he has a point in some respects. Is like, Look, you can say that doubles players don't sell tickets. Well, n- neither do a lot of singles players. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, the stars are the ones that yeah. sell it. But those players that don't get a lot of publicity have to play against the highest singles ranking. So without them, you can't have a tournament. All of that is true to a certain extent. I would like to see if they're going to do anything, I think that they should sh- make the doubles draws smaller. Mm. If they're, if, I think economics wise, that makes sense. I think you'd, and we do in the women's tour where you're allowed to enter the tournament on your singles ranking to play doubles. Um, I don't know if they do that on the men's, but if they don't, they should. Um, Wimbledon has now this year announced that it will not be best of five sets from the first round on in the men's doubles, which I think is a great idea, finally, because there was nothing worse than having to play after a men's doubles match because they would go for fucking five hours at Wimbledon sometimes, <laughs> you know. And, you know, you're like sitting there going, are we seriously sitting here watching a 12-11 in the fifth doubles match? Which, guess what, happens all the time, particularly yeah. with the men serving. Um, so I like that they're doing best of five. I think the only mistake, I would like to make the men's best, the final best of five. Mm. And it's probably weird that you play a tournament, maybe semis and finals, they should make best of five just because, well, then at that point, it doesn't matter because no one's waiting for them to play. Um, but if they're doing best of three across the board, I think it's a good idea. And you might get you might get actually singles players playing doubles now because of that. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why they don't play because who wants to go out and play a five hour doubles match and then play singles the next day? No way. Yeah. So I think that's a positive. Um, but I would like to see maybe the draw smaller. I've always said this, and I, I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying this, <laughs> but I think, on, if you're ranked, I think if you're ranked 50 in the world, playing doubles only, you're not very good. Oof. Sorry. Okay. I mean, I just think if you're playing doubles only, every week you are concentrating on doubles, 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 and you're 50 in the world, you know. You didn't do it. You failed. You, you, fell short. you, probably, you, should, you probably should find another job, right, honestly, because you're not going to be making money you definitely, you know, you're just out there sort of taking a check and doing something for a living. And if you're 50 in the world at 20 and then you're 50 in the world at 30 and you're still 50 in the world at 35, I don't know if it's if it's the correct thing. I think if you're playing doubles only, it should be at least top 20 at, at least, I mean, because it's what you specialize in. Right. So we have those arguments. So, And if that's the case, make the draw smaller, get singles players playing, because we see how popular it is out in Indian Wells because a lot of the top players play. Um, but get it on television. And that's 
They promised us they would do that when they made it best of three sets, uh, two sets with a 10-point tiebreak. We're going to put you more on center court. You yeah. guys, we're gonna, we know you're going to finish up like maximum two hours. So we'll be able to put you on television. Bullshit. None of that thing happened. None of it happened. So if you're going to change the scoring to do that, yeah. then do that. Right. Don't play oh, yeah. Or, or put us on an outside court and playing best of three because doubles players, I mean, the no ad and 10-point tie break, it's like, ugh, it's the worst. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what I think. Make the draws a little bit smaller rather than a 32 doubles draw, make it a 16 doubles draw or even in some cases an eight doubles draw. And, you know, you you might get some really top players um, playing a, a little bit more doubles, which we would love to see because, it, most, as you said, most fans love watching doubles. Yeah, we love watching doubles. A lot of us play doubles and we want to see it at the highest levels. And also like, you know, again, tennis has this unique thing that no other sport has, no other sport hard to imagine will ever have, which is mixed doubles, which is a man and a woman competing on the same court, on the same field of play at the same level. Show me a more emotionally like out of their minds crowd than when Andy Murray and Serena Williams walked onto center court at Wimbledon together to play mixed doubles. I was basically weeping just because I got to see something so cool. Right. And I think that is such a unique aspect of our sport that we could be celebrating and leaning into way, way more. And, uh, you know, for me, I would love to, I would love to figure out how to just make the product better, which is what I think you're sort of getting at, which is making, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of wheat from the chaff. Cause I think the product itself, tennis, the game itself is so awesome. Um, so yeah, before we part from our BNP Indian Wells, uh, tournament recap i just want to shout out to bnp paribas they hosted us they let us reimagine one of their spaces uh we got to talk to a few amazing amazing personalities players thinkers will be continuing to roll out those podcasts in the next couple of days and weeks um so just incredible thanks to the team um for having us johnny fillion uh rob madden angie span just incredible team to work with and uh we're looking forward to the next couple because that could not have been better for, for, for in my mind, uh, between the tennis and the experience. And frankly, the weather, which here in New York continues to be in the mid sucky. Absolutely sucky. <laughs> um, I want to give out to the MVP of the two weeks of the tournament, starting with um, a little charity event before the tournament, was Pink, okay, <laughs> who was like front and center there. Um, for every match in the finals, like love and life, every time they showed her on the screen, she was like getting into it. They obviously play her music. But, you know, she I've heard from everyone out there that was at the event. Uh, Chris McKendry was out there and a couple of other friends of mine who met her. They just said she was the friggin' coolest and so nice and down to earth. So we love when, you know, we get superstars like that, like just loving the sport and, and getting involved. And she was absolutely on fire this weekend. So um, Pink. We love that you're you're a fan of the sport. Thumbs up. Um, all right. Well, Renee, I'm going to get this out before too long, so before it gets stale. Uh, I will see you on your show later today, The Power Hour with Renee Stubbs on Amazon Prime Video yep. every day from 5 to 6 Eastern. Uh, we're going to be paying attention to what happens in Miami, but then for me, the next big, 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 big exciting thing is we're doing a huge thing in Charleston. I'm so excited about it. It's a tournament you've been to a ton. 
you love the guys down there. They love you. Our friend Andrea Petkovich is going to be hosting a daily show down there called Happy Hour that we are producing. We're going to do some doc. We made a guide. Check it out on the internet. Charleston is where it's all going down. For me, the food, the hospitality, oh, the, best. the size of the city. They put the tournament in the middle of the city, which is something you can't say of Miami. So you can actually go and experience the city while experiencing the tennis at the same time instead of two separate tracks. So for me, I'm just so, so, so excited to be down there for a couple of days um, with our friend Andrea Pekovic. Maybe we can lure you down for a weekend. It's not too far. Uh, maybe. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you know how much I love Charleston. It's like literally one of my favorite places in the U.S. to go to. I love, um, you know, Bob Moran down there, who's the tournament director, and of course, Eleanor, who takes care of all the players every single time. They're just the best tournament. It's the best tournament on the women's tour. It is by far the best tournament to go and visit. The city is amazing. The tennis will be great. The hospitality, of course, second to none in Charleston. They're it's going to be nicest amazing. People. We so got Sabalenka is um, playing, Kasakin is playing, Elena Svitolina is making her comeback yes, at this yes. tournament. Like it's going to be lit down there. Um, and I could not say enough amazing things about both the field, but also how much these, the owner Ben Navarro and the ta- the oh, tournament yeah. staff that you said, they care deeply and it shows because they are putting on a world-class event. They are, they are the best and I'm sending my love to them because uh, I know Eleanor also listens to our podcast. So <laughs> E, I love you and um, um, have a great time down there. But in the meantime, it's Miami. We'll get set for Miami at some point and give you little thoughts on that. But we know that our friend Craig Shapiro is already down in Miami. There's no harder worker than Craig. He's bringing the, the heat, well. as he would say. Bringing the heat. He's bringing the heat. Um, but uh, <laughs> everybody, thanks for everything uh, over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Indian Wells was amazing. Um, shout out to everyone that appeared on the pod while they're out there. Tommy Haas, we're going to get him out on the, on the pod as well. He did a great interview with us. So you're going to put that one out too, Caitlin? Next couple days, just gotta right. just gotta get my ducks in a row. All get right, I'll see you later today. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon with more incredible Renee Sims tennis podcast. Bye, guys. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.